everyone. You're listening to Tobin Tuesdays brought to you by the Manitoban here on 101.5 UMFM. I'm your host, Joe Gonzalez. On today's episode, we have two stories. The first story is about a postering initiative led by members of the School of Fine Arts Students Association. We spoke with co-president of SOFA, Annie Beach, U of M Indigenous Students Association rep Kristen Flattery, and Security Services Director Rick Jansen. The second story is an interview with U of M alumnus Kristen Wojniak. She spoke with us about what she's been up to since graduating from the Days Hotel's Faculty of Music here at the U of M. With that being said, let's get to it. In response to the posters that appeared on campus earlier this month with the message, It's Okay to Be White, members of the School of Fine Arts Students Association, or SOFA, began an initiative to create posters as both a counter-protest and also as a message of comfort to racialized groups on campus. The initiative was led by SOFA printmaking representative Mari White and co-president Annie Beach. The posters were presented as gifts to members of the Muslim Student Association and the U of M Indigenous Students Association. Posters which were subsequently put up in areas without prior authorization by the relevant authority of the buildings in which they were put up in were taken down by security services. Our news and managing editor, Malak Abbas, spoke with Annie Beach, as well as UMISA education rep Kristen Flattery, to talk about the poster campaign, as well as provide their comments on the experience of having the posters taken down, as well as their general thoughts on if security is doing enough to make racialized students and groups feel safe on campus. Malak also spoke with Security Services Director Rick Jansen in regards to the poster removal. Um, so I think uh, I shared the event page that Annie Chen from 13 Fires had, which was this like... Uh, event to like combat uh, the racist it's okay to be white posters that happened on campus um, and then once I shared that event and like was saying maybe SOFA should get involved uh, members on council were saying we should do something ourselves um, so our printmaking rep um, Mari White uh, decided to like take that upon herself as well as with me uh, to like spearhead the project where we would uh, do consultation with different groups that have been affected both by the posters but also by uh, it, like it, events that have been happening prior to the posters. Um, so there was an incident in uh, the Taché building with the, the School of Fine Art. Uh, there was this uh, vandalism in Sharpie on the wall that said F- Islam. It's there quite often. My studio's <laughs> there. I erase yeah. it a lot. Yeah, and then um, so we noticed that and then we thought we would consult with the Muslim Student Association as to like or make them aware of it and see what they would want to do about it. Um, and they said that there was also a similar instance in Tear. There was a similar message. Um, and then and then on top of that, with the uh, U of M Indigenous Student Association, there's been a lot of anti-Indigenous uh, racism happening both in classrooms and on campus. Um, so uh, Mari and I felt that it was appropriate to like reach out to these groups individually, as well as like the greater BIPOC community here on campus, um, and to like, decide on a message that we want to send as like to combat uh, the it's okay to be white posters Um, so we decided on this message that we got from uh, an account on Instagram uh, reclaim your power and the message is my love for my people is stronger than anyone's hate so we thought it was a message that anybody could identify with but especially those who have been experiencing this these uh, anti-racist or the anti-indigenous racism and like Islamophobic as well as greater racism on campus and it was not, um, this was not a method of retaliation. This was to spread a message of love mm-hmm. around because we have all this hate being spread around campus. So we were trying to combat this in a more positive way by sharing love because you can't combat hate with hate. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to spread messages of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with SOFA, we thought it would be appropriate just to give the posters of the first round of posters that we make. We're probably going to make more. Um, 
we gave out uh, both handfuls to Umissa and MSA and then decided like you guys can do what you want with them. Uh, it wasn't Sofa's idea to like go around plastering them around campus. It was, you know, it's for the students. If the students want to put them up around on campus, they're more than welcome to. Or if they need to put them in their like on their office door or spaces, then they are allowed to do that, I think. In, yeah, in student lounges and places that we consider safe, such as Magazine Agamic, we felt that putting some up there would be a safe place to put them because that is our space. So it will it is a space that anybody can enter however it is primarily indigenous students that are in there and students of other nations so it, we felt you know why not put one put one of these posters up in a space that we feel safe and that we are in regularly and need to be reminded of because so much of us are so hurt by those the original posters the racist posters that went around by that neo-nazi group it's it is left like a stigma on us. It has caused trauma. It has, there's intergenerational survivors that go to this campus. So it's supposed to be, it's, we're actively being anti-racist, right? We're trying to create dialogue with people here. And the fact that like, we, oh yeah, I remember, we put this up in our safe space and security actually came down, put their black gloves on, acted as if it was a crime scene, removed the poster, and then went around policing our entire safe space and saying that these need to be removed because it's retaliation. And she, they took them down, they policed the entire building and they were making it look like whoever was doing this was like a bad thing. But this is a message of love. This is, it's, it's like counter protest, right? Like, and this is art. Like you can't censor art, right? Like this is this is this is not a hateful message. This is an artistic piece with a heart on it and the word love that's promoting a completely different message and it shouldn't be being removed, especially in a place that is safe to us. Art is freedom, it is creativity, and it will create change in society faster than any other political movement ever could. Sofa made these posters, it was a donation, so our print rep had extra paper, had extra ink, and then we'd volunteered our time to make them. Um, in the screen printing room in the art lab. Um, and then I picked them up yesterday morning, um, put one on the sofa office door at 189 Taché. Which was um, removed. Which later we had a meeting with sofa and my co-president uh, counterpart, Hannah Reimer, informed me that the poster was no longer there. So we're not sure if that was also a security thing or if that was custodial staff or if maybe someone liked the poster and took it themselves. But um, as far as it, we know, it was just removed. It was moved. And security, when they came in to take the one down, they had others in their hands. Yeah, and then I, I believe Alana McKay, the UMISA female co-president, um, was messaging us this morning that they put uh, posters in the UMISA, like the glass uh, bulletin board. Like it has like a plastic mm -hmm. glass covering or whatever. keep it framed in. Um, and then I think security, like to like open the case, untacked everything. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they're taking extra efforts. Yeah. It's not only for BIPOC folks. It, it's not yeah. saying it. Right. It's not saying it's not okay to be white. It's not saying it's only okay to be brown. It's saying that my love for my people is stronger than anyone's hate, and I think that's a message that can apply to any, any sort people. of demographic on the yeah. on campus. Um, so that's what, that's what's so unfortunate about it is that these are being removed despite them not being retaliation or like like an active political message that's trying to be sent is just supposed to give comfort uh, and support to students that they go to class and they have to you know deal with having to be a student which is already so hard as it is and then on top of that have to deal with like violent messages and posters um, so this was just an idea for SOFA to like give back to the students um, and give them a sense that like you know you're loved and you're safe on campus um, a safe reminder yeah 
because like this university is constantly saying we need to create safer spaces we need to create safer spaces and certain faculty are like oh we need to create a safe space for indigenous students and people of minorities and then this is happening do you really think we're going to go to those safe those safe spaces nobody's going to step foot in them because they're terrified to be in the faculty yeah mm-hmm. and especially yeah and then we have a space that is safe and for us and we can't even like put up posters can't that put up, are exactly yeah. can't even put up posters in our safe space mm-hmm. uh we've had incidences in the you miss a student lounge before like we we've had so many incidences of things that have happened that have compromised women's safety uh different types of gender safety and we've complained and complained and complained that we needed certain like security measures done like special locks done it took like three years before anybody even got us a proper lock and there was vandalism that occurred several times and we would phone security and we would talk to them and they'd come in and they're like yeah yeah we're gonna do this report and look at the cameras and we'll get back to you months would go by and we'd be trying to get in contact with them get in contact with them they it, I just feel like they don't care like when we tell them issues it's just like oh yeah document it they never get back to us they never follow up on any of the reports they never get security footage when they tell us they're going to there's nobody calls us back um they don't come and check on the rooms we never see them coming to like the indigenous student center except for when they come to remove posters that's the first time i've seen them there all school year um i don't feel that they are i don't feel that they are going out of their way in any way to make anybody feel safe yeah anyway and like if you are secure there was one security guard that used to come in and talk to us when we were smudging and we actually got to know that one security guard Mm -hmm. and that felt safe because he was regularly there and he would regularly come talk to us we had a relationship with them but if it's just somebody coming by ding gone ding gone not even checking the room to see is it okay in here like I don't think I don't feel safe mm-hmm. and as a sing as a mother uh, who has two young children that I bring to this campus regularly late at night because I do have a studio on campus where that Islam stuff happens mm-hmm. um, and that's a very lonely corner where mm-hmm. bad stuff can happen it's very isolated very very isolated corner and I bring my children here and I'm an indigenous woman and I have my children here I don't feel safe and I don't want my children, they want to come here so bad. They want to come here so bad, but now they see how fear-stricken I am. Is this the place where I want my children to be coming? It's, it's terrifying being an Indigenous woman, an Indigenous mother, a person of color. And I need to bring my children here because I don't have supports like all other people do, right? I have been a single mother for years, right? Like my, I me and my partner, we are working things out, right? But that's it's not the same as if you're like with somebody right like a solid relationship and it's scary yeah yeah and i think it just like comparing to maybe what's been happening so much on campus with like the anti-choice protest things that have been happening and like those those people which like the whole idea with i think uh the uvm and amsu not wanting to like step in and like use security to like remove those protesters was this idea of free speech um and like maybe that was also why they didn't remove like the it's okay to be white posters so quickly. But if we were to put up these messages like are, that are signaling love and acceptance, um, and then for some reason the security is taking advantage of that and like removing them um, when that hasn't been happening in the past like few weeks with other instances instances that have been happening on campus, um, it's really disheartening. And yeah, it doesn't feel like they're looking out for indigenous students, BIPOC students. In general well yeah we'll just like reiterate yep. with like sofa um and how um sofa is like a primarily like pretty like 
white student group. <laughs> like we only have like a few uh, racialized members. Rep. We have like an indigenous rep. Um, so there's only a handful of us that are like minorities on on council. Um, so when this idea came about with SOFA, like we wanted to make sure that the message that we were like trying to get across was consulted with other groups on campus that are affected rather than uh, us like just us us yeah. like white splitting maybe that ex- that experience because uh, obviously like a lot of members on SOFA just like don't get the full idea of like what these messages maybe have impacted students. Um, so allowing the affected students on campus to like decide that message um, and then deciding on that together and then us actually just like doing the work for the students. Yeah. No, and like, and it was a lot of work that went into that. Like that was a lot of love that went into it and to just have it just taken down that way. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's like a busy time right now. It's midterms. Would season, you go right? to the art gallery and be like, I don't like this p- message of this painting saying it's too political for me. I'm going to rip it down. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like midterm season. Um, Mari White is an honor student, so she's very busy doing her honors work right now, uh, but then took time out of her day to like to d- develop this message on like InDesign, printed them out, did the screen prints, like developed the images on the screen print uh, screens. Yeah, that t- to cut the thing. Yeah, out. so did all of that work and then we had someone, and then we had a large group of, from our, our council as well as mem- a member from the U of W uh, came by to come help out too. Um, so it was like a cross Sorry, was that campus Brendan? thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Brendan Galley, the racialized commissioner with the Canadian Federation of Students. Um, he wanted to come help out and you know get a feel of like the experience that we've been having on campus. Um, yeah, so then it was like people who weren't in screen printing but on council were helping out and volunteering their time. And then yeah, the ink and the paper was all donated by our, our print rep Mari. Um, so yeah, it was like a total act of love, and we just like wanted to make sure that students like had this message to like encourage them to like keep going uh, don't give up kind of thing and with like this like how it refer it refers to any any type of person right and how annie was saying like even a german person or an irish person or a ukrainian person or a polish person could read that and identify and be proud of that part of their heritage right yeah the thing there's a big difference between being proud to be white and being proud to be irish or polish or ukrainian and actively practicing that part of your culture and knowing the highland dancing and knowing how to call your grandma oma and opa and like Mm -hmm. knowing the foods and the recipes that's different Mm -hmm. right that's completely different and we're not saying that it's bad to be white we're not saying that at all Mm -hmm. we're saying like it's okay to be any color but it has been known for centuries that it is okay to be white and because it is coming from a neo-nazi group that is a message of hate and basically by this message, by where they have targeted, it's basically saying it is not okay to be brown. By them targeting Native Studies, by mm-hmm. them targeting the women's group, by them targeting the Indigenous Students Association. Mm-hmm. They are targeting the Islams, by targeting specific people who are different color to skin. They're saying, and not going to any other groups that is white, they're, they're telling that it's not okay to be you. Yeah, and it just it shows with like security removing these posters so quickly that you new know, these ideas of like uh, not prioritizing BIPOC students and those experiences are like built into these systems of like power at the university. So like security has this power over students, obviously, um, and they can make these decisions to remove these posters when at the same time like these like students that use this message from like a, a neo-Nazi group has that power to like put this message out and like make BIPOC students feel small and like un- undervalued here on campus. 
any posters that go up on the university, um, unless they're authorized by the building owner or I'm sued, depending on the building, um, or they meet, they can't be in tunnels, they can't be in stairwells, they can't be in any of these areas because of fire right. concerns. Yep. So we take them down. There's a whole bunch of rules that they have to follow, how it's affixed to the to the bulletin board or to a wall or what have you. They have to be endorsed uh, with a stamp that they're approved. Is, um, Otherwise, we end up taking them. We we take them down. So we're not targeting. Um, you know, it's okay to be white posters. We're not targeting. Uh, it's not okay to be a white supremacist. Or sorry, it's okay to be a white supremacist. Hashtag fight hate, or these other ones that you're you're speaking about. Yeah. We take them all down if we find them, because otherwise, we in the last couple of days, there's hundreds of these things posted up, right? Yeah. So the university will just be a total mess, and against fire code in certain areas. So, and we're not saying you can't put them up. You just have to follow the proper process. Yeah, we do. We work with caretaking and others because we're patrolling 24 hours a day, right? Right. So if we see something, we'll take them down. Now, I know the issue you're talking about with the gloves, mm-hmm. um, that's totally false. I looked at the video uh, where this person is making that claim. And I can tell you categorically that that's not the case. She was not wearing gloves. And I don't know what the relevance of gloves is to begin with, but that is not the case. Now, there is some areas where they do wear gloves because they're using uh, razor blades to scrape off the mess that people put on, uh, the sticky stuff that they put on. And so they don't want to cut themselves, right? They're protecting their hands. But um, in this specific incident, that is not the case. Are we talking to one building with uh, the Bald Eagle Lodge with the poster there? So that that wasn't on the bulletin board, first of all. That was on the computer lab window, and so it wasn't approved. If we had, if it was, a, if it had a stamp on saying it was approved, they would have been left on there. And when they're saying, "Oh, we're targeting indigenous people," I mean that can't be further from the truth. In fact, one of the ladies was with. I had two female uh, members go there, and one is. Uh, indigenous. So, you know, we're trying to help the university, right? Like, yeah. do we're not taking sides whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, people just have to follow the process. And we are getting, as you know, you, you, you're probably following a lot of these stories. Yeah. Uh, we are getting in, inundated with posters. And I, I get what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And we're not opposed to that. We're totally neutral. We just... You know, if everyone keeps putting these posters up, we've probably taken down several hundred of them that, um, and not only us, caretaking, they they are A, fire hazards, depending on where they are. They're putting them in tunnels. They're putting them in stairwells. uh, They're not putting them on bulletin boards. They're not getting approval from the building owners. There's specific rules that you have to follow. Um, And we don't want to get citations from the fire department as well so we're not saying you can't put it up you just got to follow the proper process um we're a little more vigilant right now if you if you can you know want to use that word it's just because there's so many going up and you know if we don't we get what the students are doing and we're we're not trying to curtail any free speech or anything obviously we don't condone anything whatsoever of racist or hidden agenda items or anything like that um, but to say our guys are are um, are targeting these people for putting up the other signs, hundred percent false. So 
there's poster and bulletin board guidelines and there's stuff here that all four sides have to be taped down posters must be placed with edges on the bulletin boards no posters can be outside the bulletin boards uh, they can't be in tunnel stairwells there's a whole bunch of different they can't be on a fire door they can't be on glass adjacent to a fire door there's a whole bunch of stuff that people follow mm -hmm. and they think oh we're just taking these down we're being ignorant to these that's not the case whatsoever we're just a we don't want to get citations from the fire department B, we don't want to have any, um, you know, mass littering of the, the university with whatever poster uh, gets plastered all over university walls. Our news reporter, Shauna Matthews, recently sat down with U of M alumni Kristen Wojniak to talk about her work after graduation. Kristen graduated this past June with a Bachelor of Music in Composition from the Des Hotels Faculty of Music here at the U of M and has, among other things, attended master classes at the Lindenburg Academy in Nova Scotia as well as secured two commissions set to be performed in spring 2019. Kristen talked with Shauna about how she decided she wanted to get into composition, the incorporation of electronic elements in her work and where she draws her inspiration for that, and one of the aforementioned commissions she's working on for Salon Neon, a concert series by another U of M music grad, Sarah Jo Kirsch, to make Western art music less intimidating and more exciting. So I took piano from when I was really little. Um, I was five when I started, and I just over time came to just tinker away on my own at the piano, and mostly from mistakes when I was playing like scales um, and pieces, I would my finger would slip or I would start on the wrong notes, and something interesting would come up. So it's just a curiosity from the very beginning, um, and that came at a young age, and then I started like songwriting when I was um, a preteen and a teenager, and then I actually went to a high school where there was a composition class. Oh really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I've heard that that's not like the most typical thing to find in a high school, but I was really fortunate because uh, I was exposed to, um, to a lot at a younger age than I think a lot of people start So what exactly did you learn with uh, the composition class at, at your high school? So we learned notation software. So notation um, is the ability to write the music down um, in the computer and hear it back. So it was a really, there's pros and cons to that. It, yeah, there are pros, <laughs> pros and cons to hearing hearing it back on the computer, but we learned uh, some very basic formatting of how to write the music on paper to be able to give to a performer. Um, and then we learned some basic theory, which I had already learned quite a bit of it from um, Royal Conservatory when I was taking theory with piano, but it was it's always helpful to learn similar concepts in a different way. Um, and then we'd have discussions um, and we'd do theory exercises and a lot of it was just like independent working um, on the computers and then you would come, our teacher would come around and just listen to what we were doing and give us feedback. And then every year we had to have a portfolio done of three compositions. I think they were like three minutes each, quite short. And then um, we learned a little bit of history, but it was mostly just just getting feedback on how to develop ideas um, and, and different directions to take. 
There's enough change over time. You just get like you're you get in a trance, like the EDM world, underground, like dance music world. Um, you're just lost in this world, and so that that uh, that idea of trance and the looping and repetition has really influenced the way that I think about like not only the music itself, but I always I'm always thinking of the experience, like what I what kind of experience I want. I'm trying to convey. To an audience, so it's not just about presenting a musical idea, which is, which is this mindset has developed a lot over the course of my degree. That's another thing that's been great about the program is you're not only learning about music techniques, but you're really it's it's very like psychological and philosophical. Like you're thinking about um, thinking about the experience that I would want as a listener or you know the pieces that impact me the most in the concert hall like a lot of times it doesn't even there might not even be that much going going on musically but it's the, the pacing and the world that I get lost in so what have you been up to since uh, you graduated 
so I've been working on, um, I have a couple commissions that are um, set to be performed in the spring. So, um, since the summer I've been working on a piece for, uh, it was commissioned by Sarah Jo Kirsch, so she's also an alumni, or an alumnus from, um, from the U of M, and she is an incredible soprano. Uh, she started a series last year called Salon Neon, and she wants to take, um, it's to take Western art music and essentially make it less intimidating for and, and exciting for a, for a modern context because there's this whole there's this stigma around classical rep repertoire and the concert hall like a lot of people just don't even want to go because it's intimidating or it's outdated um, or it's just people just don't think it's for them because they're not in that world but um, so a lot of times venues will be like concert halls and those churches um, which people don't want to churches you know and so um, she yeah so she just really wants to bring art music into accessible venues like warehouse galleries the Art gallery um, things like that and so she's so this piece is for her and there's an ensemble of about eight to ten players um, and it's recontextualizing uh, this hymn and antiphon from um, that was written by Hildegard Hildegard von Bacon. So um, the the whole idea behind the, the concert is feminine mystics, and so we're taking um, these old pieces that are celebrating um, are celebrating these women of the past who um, just really had their own voice and stuck to their own integrity. Um, so she wrote this antiphon and hymn set, actually it's a whole hymn set, um, for uh, in praise of St. Ursula, um, who was from the 4th or 5th century, you might know, I'm not sure, 4th or 5th century. She was the saint who was uh, promised to this man to, to marry him, and she said, no, I don't want to marry him, and she, her and these 11,000 virgins went on this crusade um, just to really stand their own, and they ended up getting killed. And so in St. Ursula's honor, Hildegard wrote um, these hymns. And Hildegard, um, there's no rhythms, or there's no notated rhythms like Western notation has now developed. But um, I, I've taken uh, these melodic lines with the text, um, and I'm recontextualizing it for a modern context. Um, so there's uh, alto flute, bass clarinet, and then violin, viola, um, cello, double bass, harp, and piano, and then soprano. So, um, yeah.
so it's going to be a peace honoring Hildegard and Ursula. What drew you to that? Because it's a crazy story. It seems yeah. Like. What drew you to the to um, that set of music and, and um, the story behind it as well? So Sarah actually picked the music um, and approached me about the project, which yeah. I was so honored about. Um, and we had met we had met quite a few times in different. Um, through different music events and concerts and things like that and we just like really hit it off and she I think it was important for her to have a woman also uh, write write this piece um, but she was really drawn to this idea of feminine mystics because of um, just the voice the strong voice of of a woman and not of anyone really it's you know, I don't want to get into the territory of just segregating men in this either, but it's really just um, empowerment. And I think she was really, she was really inspired by Hildegard, even back when she was doing her master's degree. Um, she sang a segment of this in her recital too, so I think it's keeping. That's another thing with a lot of these art music performances is, and as a living composer, I experience this too, like having your piece performed once and then it just gets like put in the archives and that's it. But it's keeping keeping strong strong art alive um, and but keeping it refreshing as well. So it's not that the message is being lost in us arranging it. It just keeps alive uh, something from the past and keeping it interesting. If, if in my eyes the piece has been successful, I want it to live on and not just for the sake of it having the same performance over and over again. I mean, a lot of times you'll get a recording and so you can listen to it again, but bringing it to different audiences and in different venues and specifically in this case, like recontextualizing it for different instruments and changing the form, like the, if it has a strong message behind it, a really strong emotional impact, I think that it has a lot of power, like it can have a lot of power and listening to something live versus streaming on your headphones, it's not necessarily better, like it depends on what you're listening to and what the context is, but there is something about live performance um, that is so powerful and feeling the vibrations from the instruments and being around a community, um, the discussion that follows. Um, I think if one aspect of looking at it is like storytelling and to keep the story alive, um, I think that it is important, but not all pieces can be kept alive. There's so many, there's so much music out there. So I, I really hope that pieces of mine can be performed again. And that should do it for today's episode of Tobin Tuesdays, brought to you by the Manitoban Hero 101.5 UMFM. Once again, the interviews you heard today were provided by Malak Abbas and Shauna Matthews. The intro and transition music were produced by Kenny Ingram. And the entire episode was produced and hosted by me, Joe Gonzalez. A reminder that all interviews and stories you heard today are available in this week's issue of the Manitoban, available on newsstands tomorrow, as well as online in the coming days. We are officially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Search for Tobin Tuesdays to catch up on old episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a future one. On behalf of the Manitoban, we thank you for listening and we'll hope you tune in next week. Peace.